With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Yes, yes. Welcome to another edition of the Tim McKernan Show here live from the HomeLoanExpert.com studios. It's time for questions from the audience. And uh, I'm joined by uh, the regular roundtable of uh, Darren Atkins and Kenny Strode. And nobody knows who those people are, but they do know who uh, the Plow Devil and who Iggy are. It's a pleasure to have you back. And I'm also pleased to let you know that in what is a, a bit of a surprising development and a further illustration that I, I just don't know what I'm doing, next to John Mazalak, the Cardinal President of Baseball Operations, and Clay Travis, our Questions from the Audience Roundtable podcast was the most listened to podcast we have had since switching to the new server, which means Gary Pinkle and Jack Danforth were on the old server. Since then, your questions and answers from the audience, uh, the third most listened. How does that make you feel, boys? Uh, it's all... It's great, but it kind of shows our listenership. Uh, kind of likes a, bit, a little bit more nitwittery. I did love the uh, Champagne Tony Lima story. Though. It's a great story. I think that's what really made the podcast. I think that, that was. I think that, that was, was another fifteen hundred downloads. I yeah. do. I'm really surprised that we didn't beat those two people. To be honest with you, you're, you're not happy about that. Well, maybe this week, maybe this week there'll be another story about an old British Open winner and their niece that you can <laughs> that you can bring out that brings us in. So uh, we are in the HomeLoanExpert.com studios, uh, the Wednesday tradition that is questions from the audience, and we've gotten some outstanding questions uh, from the audience. And I'm going to start on the TMA fan page. You're always welcome to send them in uh, via uh, email because some people like the anonymity, Plowhawk. They prefer to not be... I get it. You know, and they're also not necessarily on the fan page, and so they, they just send them in via email. Um, but let's start with this one, uh, Iggy, and I'll start with you, sir. Most embarrassing moment of your radio career. Most embarrassing moment of your radio <laughs> career. Of my radio career? Yeah. And I wanted to be specific because I didn't know if yeah. something happened where you slept with Leona Helmsley in Bermuda and you would have used that. I'm looking for specific radio. There were a couple. One was actually on the air when I was producing. One, I was doing an interview off the air, but it aired on the air. Uh, interviewing Jenny Finch. Jenny Finch, the softball pitcher. Yes. Beautiful they, uh, lass, married oh. to a Major League Baseball player. Uh, I think he's retired now. He didn't get much other than AAA. Um, but I was interview interviewing. I was the only one that got to interview her. They were going through, 
United States leading up to the Olympics, and they were playing these exhibition matches. And I reached out to the person taking care of everything, and she goes, uh, Iggy, we're only going to do one, but uh, we're going to give it to you, so you'll interview her after the game. So I was down the field waiting for her to, to come out from the locker room or wherever they were, and she walked in front of me, and the first thing I said, I said, you are the most gorgeous woman I've ever seen. And she really didn't have an answer. And I said, oh, I just embarrassed myself. And then as I was reaching up after my first question, the microphone hit her right in the boob. Oh, boy. Because she has kind of a tall drink of water. So I was kind of lifting up. So after telling her, you're the most gorgeous woman I've ever seen, and then hit her boob with my microphone, it was quite embarrassing because the lady publicist was watching all of this. And I'm sure I embarrassed the hell out of myself. Um, well, what did, did Jenny ever, did, did she ever respond to, so you, she, she just happened to be walking by, you were covering the event, and that, that just, that wasn't a, of course, that wasn't a pickup line, that was just involuntary. Yes, I, well, I was waiting for her to come out because the interview was set up, and she was back with her teammates, and the publicist said, Jenny will be out in a second, so I'm just standing on the field waiting, and when she walked out and introduced herself, I just looked at her and I said, you're the most gorgeous woman I've ever seen, and she's kind of like, Gave a giggle, like creep giggle, like, <laughs> thank you. Um, and then the first thing I do when I lift the microphone, I hit it right in the boob. And she did say, don't don't worry about it. Don't don't feel bad. I'll do it again. She um, said do it again. No, I was going to say, I'll, oh. I'll, yeah. do it, I'll do it again oh. if it doesn't bother you. Because that changes. Um, so it was kind of embarrassing because there were some people still in the stands watching this. And I kind of made a fool of myself. But she was just dropped dead gorgeous. I've never seen anybody so good looking. And this was after a softball game. And she's, she's like 5'11", isn't she? Six, I think she's over six. Is she she's really? Like maybe six, six one. Man, she's tall, um, but just gorgeous. So that was kind of embarrassing. The other one wasn't embarrassing at the time, but when the story got out and Frank Cusimano told the story and then it got embarrassing. But as a producer, you do what you have to do to get a guest on. You know, you try to be ethical, but sometimes you kind of go over the limit a little bit. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Uh, the first athlete to come out as gay was David Copay. I don't know if you remember that. He played for the San Francisco Giants, but he retired like 20 years earlier. And he came out in a Sports Illustrated column and New York Times saying, I was I was gay playing football and I couldn't come out because you would hear the, the guys in a locker room talking about gay guys. And so I had to keep it secret all these years. And I'm finally coming out hoping other athletes will come out. <clears throat> and Frank said, we got to get David Copay on the air. So I had a friend at the NFL Alumni Association who gave me a number, called him, and he said, well, I appreciate the interest, but I've done two interviews, Sports Illustrated, New York Times. My story's out there. I don't need to talk anymore. And I'm just thinking, I said, how do I get this guy on the air? I said, well, David, I appreciate that. I said, but I want to thank you personally for this article because working at a sports station with a bunch of testosterone guys and manly guys, it was mm. hard for me to tell anybody I was gay. So thanks to you, I can now tell people I'm gay. <sighs> I'm glad I helped. When can I come on? Wow, wow, wow. I got him on the air. So you pretending I was a gay. gay gentleman in order to get this interview. Yeah, and it wasn't embarrassing until Frank told the story and thought it was funny. And then I'm getting, Iggy pretended to be gay. That's so unethical. I can't believe you did that. Like, Somebody oh, had a yeah. problem with it? Who, it? There were a couple of people. Really? Yeah, I called Didn't in. you do something with Tiger Woods? Was that you? To get Tiger Woods on a show? Oh, I told him I was, uh, I called his mom, Katila. Or you Katilda, called Tiger Woods' Katilda, mom? Because uh, I had his home number. Plothawk, this is going to be a tough act to follow. I could have started with you. <laughs> I right? have a good one, but this is tough. <laughs> uh, no, I called Katilda, the home number, and said. You um, had Katilda's number. Yeah, I had the home number. Because I used to get Earl Woods on all the time. 
Earl was a great guest. And I had the number, and I told Catilda that I was uh, Gary McCord, and I was supposed to meet Tiger for lunch, and <laughs> I lost his cell hell? number. Do you have it? And she gave it to him, and we called him, and he probably said no like 20 times. When Tiger I said, said no. Yeah. Well, I have him on the air. We're doing the golf show, and I called him, um, and he said, I really don't have time. And this is only after, I think, 99, so he'd just been like superstar for one year on the PGA Tour. Had, what, three majors at that point? Yeah, so um, he said, I really don't have time. I got a photo shoot to get to. I said, Tiger, 20 seconds. Just come on, say hi. We're going to congratulate you on a great year. Done. I really got to get out the door. 20 seconds, Tiger. Finally goes, all right, put me on now. So I type up to Jay and Smitty, Tiger Woods on hold. (laughs) Jay asked, and I think he still has the interview. One question. Tiger, great year. Thanks, guys. I really appreciate it. I really got to get to this photo shoot. What about when we go back to the Masters? And he goes, uh, yeah, it was fun. I knew I was going to I really got to go. And Tiger goes, there we go. We had Tiger Woods on. 30 seconds, but we had him on the air. So, yeah, I lied to Catilda for that. So you lied to Catilda and Copay. That but you gay. got both of your guests on because of it. Got them both on. Oh, I didn't know this producing market was so dark and seedy. Well, Sea Monster is good. Sea Monster can just get them on with a call. I got to lie. <laughs> Plowhawk, you got to follow up uh, Earl Woods, Catilda Woods, and uh, was it Ron Copay? Is that the name? David Copay. David Copay. Yeah. brother named Yeah, Ron. damn. Um, well, I, I, might I say I've only been in radio for five years, so I, I can't have... You know. But yet you you have a budding relationship with the Cardinal manager Mike Matheny. I wouldn't necessarily go that far. I a mean, budding relationship with Cardinal starter Carlos Martinez. That I will go. I mean, right. I would like to take him out and uh, you know maybe chill with him at his. And Holiday pad. knocked a ball out of your hand. That's right. Yeah, I should have had a lawsuit with that too. But mine, uh, I don't know. I, I did pop a boner. Uh, mm. <laughs> is that an acceptable one to have a backup if that one's not doable? No, you're doing sure. fine. Okay. So it Dep- was when depending I, on where this. This no, erection occurred. I'll lighten it up a little bit. And so it was at the old 590 studios when it transformed into the man and the woman that we all know and love. Um, an arousing so time for all of St. Louis. It was really a great time for St. Louis, yes. And so this was right when I started out, right after my internship. I'm getting hired. So I'm like, oh, yeah. You know, still young and dumb and didn't realize. Oh, when you say you're getting hired... You mean marijuana-wise, you're getting higher? I'm getting hired, you know. And so I smoked a lot of weed before this show, and it happened to be a program that was a little off-color, you know, and happened to bring in some Hustler Club strippers. Mm -hmm. And so I was, you know, very horny at the time, and so I was... I uh, just moved to St. Louis, and so I didn't know many people, and so I was sitting on the board, and they had me, you know, I was by myself in the little production area, so yeah. nobody was they around. They called it Stedman's Cove. So I was aroused, but yet paying attention, you know, and they called me into the studio to do this bit, and by that time, I was, you know, I was supporting a, a flagpole, and so I was like, <laughs> I was kind of weary, I kind of tried to make it, yeah, you know, I got to stay here just in case, so they brought uh, somebody to run the board while I go in and they noticed my boner and it was a really tough time for me. Uh, so so what was going on in the segment that caused you to Well, to they, they had the Hustler Club strippers and they were, you know, doing things with their breasts and, you know, slapping each other's booties. Kind of just really, really immature of me to pop a boner at a workplace. But I felt that at the time... It was okay, you know, because right. I, w- I was just by myself. But when I went to the studio and they noticed it, um, and then it became a whole deal. And th- then they wanted to have a, uh, you know, a penis showing content. That's when I went back to the board to do my program. But yes, I did pop a boner. And I think the Fred Astire 
thing that we had on the show was very embarrassing because I didn't know who. Yeah, I mean, that's a distant second, though. That's a distant, it's a that's distant a... second because this is a month into my radio career and I'm getting outed for a boner. So I know it's not an Iggy story, wow. but for five years in the radio, that's probably the most embarrassing thing that's happened on air. Well, I'm now looking I forward feel to like I've tips. ordered this improperly. I should I should have gone first and then let the plot. We should have discussed this in advance. But you said you guys said you want to know the questions as I ask them, and so now I feel like I won't be able to live up to Iggy calling Tiger Woods' mom, uh, Copay, <laughs> and, and, and saying he's gay in order to get him on, and then the Plowhawk. I didn't think you were going to be able to have much. I thought maybe it would be having the ball slapped out of your hand by Matt Holiday after. No. But no, you you were able to get hard during a segment with the Hustler Girls. So that's wonderful. What were you saying, Iggy? I'm sorry. I stepped all I over. I said I can't wait to hear yours because you've been but doing it for so long. It's not in comparison to this. It's well, nothing. no, these are stupid embarrassments. Yours will probably be a decent one. Yeah, where... but it, it was actually written about in the Post-Dispatch. But, you know, I, I, I feel like with... Having done this stuff, doing radio, I guess, going back to 98 as an intern, and then television, going back to 98 at, in Columbia, and then 99 in 2000 Little Rock, and then 2000 St. Louis, that I would have something better. And so I feel like I'm missing one. Iggy, you may remember this. I doubt the Seamaster will remember this. Plowhawk, there's no way you'll remember this. So the Rams opened up their season in 2003 against the New York Giants in New York. And the Rams were coming off a bad year in 2002. They were, of course, great in 99. Offense was still great in 2000. The defense was terrible. And, of course, they should have won the Super Bowl in 2001. 2002, somehow they were just terrible. Uh, and so there was a lot of focus on Kurt Warner and whether or not he was healthy and whether or not the team could bounce back or the run was three months or three years, and that was it. So they opened up the season against the Giants, and Warner... Uh, Fumbles, I think, six times. And I recall being right on the tunnel. It was old Giant Stadium, not where they are now, MetLife Stadium. It was old Giant Stadium. And I remember being in the tunnel as Warner's walking off the field. And he's clearly out of it. Like, he just he doesn't look right. He's clearly out of it. And it, the, the theory was, I mean, if, if this were 2017, he wouldn't have been playing. The, the theory was that he was concussed. And he didn't know what was going on, and that's why he was fumbling the ball because he was running the wrong direction on on pass plays. And so, anyway, whatever he, he he still threw for a huge amount of yardage and I think touchdowns, but he had six fumbles, and it was a kind of controversial topic. They lost the game to the Giants, and so every time they would play in New York, uh, I would do a live shot. Steve Savard, sports director at KMOV, now doing news. Uh, Doug Vaughn and I were the sports department. And whenever the Rams were on the road, I would go on the road for half of the road games. Doug would go on the road for the other half of the games. And we would have a draft every year because uh, we would want to, you know, go to places like New York or San Francisco. You wouldn't necessarily want to go to Cleveland or Cincinnati or whatever the case might be. So I was on the New York trip to open up the season. Steve called the game for the Rams radio network. He's already back in St. Louis. I th Yeah, he had to have been back in St. Louis because this is what happened. Do you know, do you remember the story, by the way, before I even vaguely? <clears throat> So I'm doing my live shot from the top of, I think it was from the top of uh, CBS in, uh, in Manhattan. And just as kind of a kicker, you know, you do your intro, you're on camera, Steve throws to me, I'm on camera, I throw to my story, and then you tag it, you know, with like a 30-second, you know, fun facts for no one tell, and then you throw it back to St. Louis. It's quite easy. It's not a very difficult thing. Um, and so as I'm tagging it, 
I add what I think is a harmless little anecdote, which was FoxSports.com, their big headline. This wasn't just like a little sidebar thing. Their big headline, which shows how big the Rams were, even though they were bad in 2002, their big headline was Mart's the Moron. That was the headline. And I throw that little, I, I don't go, you know, I agree. This was not hot take television. This is local news. I, th- I include that in my tag. I said, you know, Mike Martz keeping Kurt Warner in for that game is a controversial topic. I believe it's the last time Kurt Warner ever started at St. Louis Ram. By the way, the next time he would start a game was on that very same field with the Giants. Uh, but I think it was the last time he started. He played in other games, but he didn't start again. Mark Bolger took over, and that team was very good. But as I'm throwing it back to Steve, who is the guy on play-by-play of the Rams radio network, and I say, and to show how this is playing out around the country, FoxSports.com has the headline, Mart's the Moron. I mean, I, it didn't even cross my mind that this would be controversial at all. I mean, I, I still don't, 14 years later. And I throw it back, and I'm still up, you know, when you see, like, you know, you watch cable news or ESPN, and one person's at a stadium and another person's in the studio. So I'm up in, there's, they call it, I don't know, two boxes or something like that, whatever. So I'm up in one box, and Steve's up in another box back in St. Louis, and he then starts scolding me on the air for what he said was calling Mike Martz a moron, which is absolutely not what I was doing. I was simply saying the headline said Martz the moron, and it's been 14 years, so I don't remember the exact element of the scolding, so to speak. I mean, at that time, I am 26, maybe. Uh, you know, and I, and I still, you know, look up to Steve both, uh, as a person, but of course, physically, uh, and, uh, and I, I like, like him quite a bit and I was totally caught off guard and he's like, I don't want to say he's berating cause that's too strong, but he's certainly taken me to task on the air. I mean, it was a, on the air and I remember getting done and, you know, for, for, for citing that, and I remember getting done and, you know, you take out your piece and then you get done and go to your hotel and you fly back early the next morning and didn't really, you know, I mean, I, I don't know. For me personally, I didn't think it was that big of a deal because I knew I didn't do anything wrong. I still don't think I did anything wrong. Um, but, you know, this is, I guess, texts were going on in 2000. I guess they were. Uh, we're going on in 2003. Maybe it was people calling me right away, but the moment I got done with that live shot, my phone is blowing up, whether it be phone calls or text messages from people who saw it, and they were horrified and pissed off at Steve. Yeah. Uh, and I remember my photographer, and because he still works there, and I don't want to create a thing because I'm, I'm, I wasn't angry then. I'm not angry now, so you know, who gives a damn? But uh, I don't want to make it awkward for anybody, but I remember my photographer going, that was wrong. He goes, I'm calling him right now. That was wrong. I can't believe he just did that to you. And so it became a big story because of the fact that it played out on the air on television. Uh, the Rams were super popular at the time. Uh, you have somebody in Steve scolding somebody uh, who at that point I had been around for a few years, even though I was only 26 and I was doing radio at the time, although that radio show was not you know, anything as far as on the radar in St. Louis. Like uh, this show, fortunately, has become... So it wasn't that big of a deal in the radio community, but in television it was. I remember Dan Caesar writing about it and, and writing a lot about it. And um, and what he was saying is the reason Savard scolded me on the air was because he was the Rams broadcaster 
and it was a, and then it got into the conflict of interest thing that you, what, what's it like to have a sports director who's also calling the games. And then if somebody presents criticism, even if I wasn't the one presenting the criticism, I was just saying Fox sports and I would do it again. I didn't think there was anything wrong with it then. I don't think there's anything wrong with it now. Fox, then you, then you kind of filter the news for the purpose of consuming the audience because you want to stay in good with the Rams, which I think is a fair observation. But I remember when that story came out and then Steve came into the sports department that day. He goes, oh, I guess you and I are making some headlines because we were kind of like, it's not that big of a deal. Um, I don't believe, just for the record, as you heard, I just said, it's not that big of a deal. But I, I don't believe it's like he apologized to me. I didn't apologize. I don't, and in his mind, I don't think he, in his mind, he felt like it was name calling. But what I was trying to present was, I know people in St. Louis are wondering what just happened with that because they were stunned to see Kurt Warner fumble that many times and thought he shouldn't have still been in the football game. But with my point was, this isn't just a St. Louis thing. This is the national website, the second largest national sports website. And their huge headline, it was like, you know, monster font, uh, is, it was that he, it was Marts the Moron. So I was dressed down on television, uh, which again, I, I'm sure I've got 20 things that are more embarrassing than that, but that's the one when I was looking at that question that stood out because it wasn't something that just like, oh, it happened amongst like the three or four of us. It was something that happened on television um, and was a huge deal for like a week in St. Louis because it wasn't just the fact that that had happened and people had seen it, but that also that it's like, oh, does Steve have a conflict of interest on that thing? But in his mind, it was he didn't want name calling. So there's the backstory on it. Fun facts for no one tell. Yeah, I remember it now just through Caesar's column because I don't remember. I I don't think I saw that live because yeah. it would have stuck out, but I do remember the article now. I was 12, so. So you were not watching? I you wasn't were not watching, watching, no. I, I don't know if there was a streaming service, so I, I wasn't watching. Well, did, did KMOV get up to Canton? No, no, we had W-E-E-K, Channel 5. Week. Uh, speaking of uh, the Rams and the NFL, uh, this is a quick hitter. Sometimes we'll have long-form answers. Sometimes we'll have quick hitters. Assuming it's a decently fair deal for the city, i.e. no repeat of the Rams' lease fiasco, would you rather St. Louis land an NBA team or an NFL team? Plowhawk. I and I cannot believe I'm saying this because I, for years, NFL has been my lifeblood. You love those Packers. But I am telling you, love you Brett what, Hundley. love the Packers. I, I, but my hate for Goodell and the fact that the Rams and it's every team is going to have this relocation issue to have the upper hand for a stadium. So for me, NBA, because there is so much young talent in the NBA that the NFL just can't match. And I, I find the competition to be better than it has been, at least since I've been watching since the post-Jordan era. So I would say an NBA team, and I honestly think it would be more popular in the city. Iggy. Yeah, if the NFL was here, I mean, I don't go to games anyway. So I couldn't care less, to be honest, that they left. And I've said that since day one. Um, but I, I agree with Plowsy. To get a chance to go see LeBron James play basketball, mm -hmm. you know, maybe once or twice, hell, give me the NBA team just for the guys coming in town that you can go see play a game. And 41 home game, too. I, yeah. I would say that that's a perk. I, it's the honest answer. I'm with you guys on the NBA. And I'm sure those who are listening are going, oh, you're just pissed at the NFL. Uh, I, truthfully, I've, I would love to see the NBA here. I don't yeah. see it happening, no. at least not in my yeah. lifetime. Uh, but I would love to see the NBA in St. Louis. Mm -hmm. um, you know, here's the thing, and it's kind of a brief aside, and, and this show is essentially just random. 
but I, and I think I said it on the radio briefly, St. Louis for, God, I don't know, the last 40 years has produced prominent national sportscasters. Yeah. Uh, and some who are from St. Louis who interned at KFNS. Uh, do you know the guy I'm talking about? Golds, is it Goldsmith? He's the Mariners guy, and I think he did some Cardinals games. I don't. I'm, I could be wrong, and I apologize. I'm not attempting to slide him. I'm attempting to compliment him. But but the point is, there are a number of people, many of whom, of course, you know, whether it be Costas, Buck, Buck, Deerdorf, um, and some greats who were local greats uh, with the Kelly family uh, and Ken Wilson uh, on the Blues side of things. But if you were ranking, if you were buying stock in the leagues of MLB, NFL, NBA, NHL, and if you were also selling stock in a league, the two that I think people, if they were looking for long-term plays, again, I'm calling these stocks, that you would sell, I think, would be baseball, which is blasphemy here, but I'm being honest, and the NFL. Uh, the ones that that are appealing to young people, first off, it's soccer, actually. You see a lot of messy jerseys. Uh, you don't see a whole lot of, I don't even know who you would pick in the NFL uh, jerseys. Odell Beckham Jr. I mean, if you're around St. Louis, anyway, you do. Uh, but it would be the NBA around the country. And uh, with regard to the NHL, you have certain American markets where it's it's everything. I mean, it's not It's not just a, a city of St. Louis' size, the 21st market. Uh, you can talk about Chicago for certain and Pittsburgh, actually, which is about St. Louis' size. But uh, they're huge, huge, huge Penguins fans there. And I'm sure, of course, the, it's the byproduct of the success because that was a franchise that was in disarray and might have been moving, you know, 10-plus years ago. But anyway, my point is this, and this is something when people bring up, you know, the morning after, whether it be getting syndicated or one of us leaving and going national, for me to talk about baseball, it's second nature. And when I would interview for jobs around the country, they'd be like, my God, you really know baseball. It would kind of weird them out. But I don't know more about baseball, I don't think, than the average Cardinal fan. It's just such a huge part of the community that it's second nature. But when you're on the national sports scene, if you don't know about the NBA, yeah. You're out, which I know sounds foreign here, because if we talk about the NBA on the show, immediately there will be a rush of text like, why are you talking about the NBA? Even though I think, I think, maybe people wouldn't agree with this, it's, 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 it's at least trending upward, and if not, it's the second most popular of the four. Major League Baseball has huge numbers, but a lot of it skews older. Yeah. And so again, if you're looking from a buy-sell commodity standpoint, so I wonder how that will impact... St. Louis is going outside of uh, the market as far as sportscasters. And the go. reason I love the NBA so much is because the players in the league, the Players Association and League, have such a great rapport. Look at the NFL, how terrible it is from the Players Association to, to Goodell and his posse. They hate each other. And I think the NBA, you don't see a lot of as far as off-the-court drama as you see in football more so than baseball. And that's why I think the NBA is just kind of wholesome for the whole family. I, I, I fo Football is extremely violent. Baseball, you know, everybody likes to go to baseball game. For me, the NBA is skyrocketing. And I used to despise the NBA. I used to be a more of a college basketball fan. I have completely reversed that rule. Here's a good one. Uh, I don't have to think this one through. Most influential broadcaster to your careers. Plowhawk, I will start with you. This will be intriguing because it will have to be somebody I know since you are 
12, 13 years younger than me. It is. It's more uh, kind of a sentimental deal. It's Jim Rome because when I was a kid, how I wanted to get into the industry was me and my dad would drive around, you know, whether go to Peoria, go to Bradley Braves or Peoria Riverman games or what have you. And we would always have, you know, sports talk radio on and be mainly when Jim Rome, his radio show was just booming. And he was the reason, and that was kind of a thing that me and my dad could like kind of bond with would be, you know, listen to sports talk radio. That's why I got into the business. So if I had to say anything, I, you know, obviously I love, you know, listening to Jack Buck and things like that, but I would have to say it was Jim Rome just solely based on that's how I got into the industry. Iggy, this will be intriguing for me. Uh, Two, actually. One, before I was even in the business, uh, Nelson Byrne Jr., Many, many years, he was the color analyst with Chris Schenkel on PBA Bowling on ABC. And, I mean, that ran for like 40 years. You know, it was a lead into Wild World of Sports. And during the Midwest stops, whether it be the King Louie in Kansas City or other ones, Bo would always let me work for ABC on the weekend. He gave me a job setting up the stage. And then I would be like behind the booth with him and Chris. I would either like point the jugs gun or do something. And just those few years where I got to go to the Midwest stops and watch Bo and Chris work, like, God, this is so cool. You know, they'd hear him at break, you know, talking, you know, Chris goes, all right, I'll get to that. Yeah, let's do it after this. And then have Bo say, yeah, let's run into this because I got a topic I want to talk about here when you get into John Petraglia or whatever. And I thought that was so cool watching them interact with the producer at breaks and what they were doing on the air. So Bo kind of got me into broadcasting, thinking, man, this may be something I want to do here. Um and then once I got into it, I interned at KSP for like two weeks and they hired me. And um, then we went over to, when that went off the air, we went over to the sister station of KZK, KFNS. Bob Birch was running it. I was producing John Sloan's show in the morning. But then in the afternoon, I was producing Jerry Gross, who was a national guy out of San Diego. And he was living in St. Louis doing his show from Lou Brock's. We were doing it from Lou Brock's restaurant and I produced his show and I got to see how it worked on a national level. First time I ever got a media credential for an entire season. He got it for me and we went to every Cardinal home game together. And even though it was a national show, we talked a lot of Cardinals, but I kind of learned how to produce on the fly with that show because I'm in St. Louis and I'm talking to the guys in the headset from the studios back in Vegas. And I just saw a story that broke that Dale Murphy was getting ready to retire. And I said, find out what hotel the Braves are staying at because it was on the road. I said, and let's try to get him on. And we did. We got him on right after the press conference. And so I kind of got to see how it worked on a national level. And Jerry Gross taught me a lot because he had been in the business forever very well, well respected and would teach me things. We sit in the press box and I'd ask him questions. He would say, now here's what I would do in this situation. So I would say Bo Burton kind of got me interested in Jerry Gross kind of kept me in it. Like something I want to do for a living. I think he passed away recently. God rest his soul. My uh, answer is Howard Stern. It's like, it's a, it's an Insta call. Yeah, it really is. I mean, don't get me wrong. Ranging from locally with, uh, Mike Bush and Frank Cusimano, and I'm being very serious about that, uh, to obvious ones like Jack Buck and Joe Buck and Bob Costas. But, and I knew, I, I guess I was already in the Missouri Journalism School when I when I saw the movie Private Parts, but I remember seeing that movie and being like, God, that, because there are a few people, a handful of people, Howard Stern, 
Charles Barkley, perhaps there's one other, and I would put these in the people who are above the law, so to speak. In other words, they can say whatever they really mean and not be subjected to the BS that the rest of us would be subjected to. Not to say that, of course, Stern didn't experience all kinds of headaches with the FCC, uh, and Barkley doesn't experience criticism, but for the most part, they're above the law. And I just was like, and I loved that scene in the movie where his the woman playing his wife, uh, you would probably know who that was. Mary McCormick Thank interviewed her a much. couple times. Yeah, there you go. Uh, said my favorite part of the movie was where you screwed up a live read. You were acting like you'd been shopping there throughout your entire life. And then you go, oh, and the grand opening is next week. And then he was caught in a line. He said, I will never do that to you, the audience again. I will never, and she pointed that. I like that. I like that. And so it's, it, listen, I'm, I don't want to by any means, first off, even attempt to uh, act like I'm comparing myself. But as far as an influence goes, that's what the question is. I mean, that's, that's the answer. I love that show. And so the impetus really for the morning after, the morning grind, then the morning after, was observing the St. Louis marketplace. And 15 years later, I still think the same thing, is that young people are not catered to in this market for whatever reason. I don't know. But uh, there was really not a sports talk show that resonated with people in their 20s and 30s. It was all done kind of like the same way Cam Wicks had been doing sports talk radio for decades. And I get it. It worked, but it worked for a certain kind of listener where you take phone calls and then you interview somebody. It's just so, if you're in really into sports, it's great. But a lot of people kind of are casual sports fans, and they're just not going to get that worked up if, like, the Blues lose to the Devils tonight or if the Cardinals lose in April. It's just not the focal point of somebody's life. So sports are kind of a backdrop for the way you watch a sports game, which is not sitting there intensely like screaming and acting like you really care about a line change going wrong. You're sitting there and you're bullshitting with your friends. You know, I mean, that's how you really watch a game. And, uh, and then a billion other topics come up. So Stern's influence there comes in. And then also, I think he's just a brilliant interviewer, yeah, as is. is Joe Buck and as is Bob Costas from the show Later, which aired on, what was that on NBC, Iggy? That was like one in the morning on NBC. Later, yeah. yeah. And then was... now he had the HBO show. So uh, that's, that's, my in- that's my answer. But really, I mean, there was a, I, I saw that movie. I don't know why, but I saw it in Lawrence, Kansas uh, when it came out. I think it was 97. I think for whatever reason, we weren't going anywhere like far for spring break, obviously. And uh, and so we went over to Lawrence, Kansas to hang out with some friends. And uh, during the day, we went and saw it. And for whatever reason, that was that was it. So I was interested in doing that, but trapped by the absolute shackles of local television, which which is the like antithesis of freedom and creativity, where any like even Jay Leno caliber joke is considered too risque. So that movie is probably the first time I got turned on to Jenna Jameson. I really Jenna didn't know. Jameson I didn't and really Janine Linda Mulder were both in that film. Yeah, I didn't love really know that movie too. Yeah. You've seen that one too? Oh, Paul? I saw my but DVR. I mean, were, let's see. I'm doing. I'm going to do the math as to how old you were when it came if out. If it was 97, I would be in. like 10 or 11. No, I was 97. I was nine years old. All right. And so, but when I first watched it was right when I got into radio, a professor said, oh, take a look at this. Some people may think it's boring, but when you're in radio, it is fascinating because of how radio started and what it is now. Obviously, I kind of wish it was more old school like uh, Howard Stern started, but I love the movie. Uh, Iggy, this one is is, is specifically for you, Plowhawk, unless you have an answer on this one. Uh, 
I have a question for Iggy for the podcast, uh, and I'd prefer to remain anonymous, but so you can see, I'm not just making up questions. Uh, the person oh, I believe just wants to, well, I know, but I just, I want, you know, it's important to establish the credibility of the questions from the audience. That doesn't mean I'm going to answer it, but go ahead. I think you will. Uh, who is the one semi-celebrity or celebrity Iggy had a chance, a legitimate chance of sleeping with, and then it did not happen? I would think there's a good story there. Keep up the great work on the show and on your podcast. Uh, and that comes from this uh, person who wants to remain anonymous. And no, I do not have you one. You do not have one. I would have to think about that because I've, I've banged the celebrities. You've banged so, them all. Uh, Two well, at a time. Well, <laughs> the celebrities I've banged are pretty much out there. That's, um, that's the skater, Ty Babylonia, and that's Leona Helmsley. Um, and Terry Weigel. It wasn't, she wasn't a, she wasn't a celebrity at the time. So I don't know if that counts or not. She later became a big celebrity. Dana Plato. She played Kimberly Drummond uh, on different strokes. No, I only knew her because at the time I was waiting tables and she was waiting tables also. I don't even remember where this was, to be honest with you. She wasn't working with me, but we would frequent this bar that she worked at. And I think I had a chance to bang Patty McGuire. Um, Anybody in this HomeLoanExpert.com studio know who Patty McGuire is. That includes the Sea Monster who silently watches. Plowhawk, you do not. I have no idea. I do not know who that is either. Patty McGuire became a Playboy playmate and married Jimmy Connors. Really? Okay. Wow. The pride of Belleville. Yes. And they're still married, by the way. Um, So I think there was a a night or two that I probably could have banged. And where are you hanging out? Um, God, it might have been the Central West End. I wish I could remember where she worked. Um, Look, I'm old, and this is. You know, when we were both probably early 20s, um, at least I was maybe 20, 21, maybe. Um, but she we must have been flying, though, if she was a play by playmate. Oh, yeah. She had a great body. Still does. Um, just from what I see in pictures. But I think I think I could have banged her. But one thing led to another. I don't know if we got too drunk or I got too drunk or whatever. But I think I could have banged her before she became famous. So I hope that answers your question. There's no celebrity out there like, eh, I could have banged Lindsay Lohan, but I didn't want to. No, if they're a celebrity, I got a chance to bang them. I'm banging them. You are. You so, want to make that so, clear. Yeah, so it's not any celebrities or podcasting that's, that's and are interested. Yeah, so that question, was there a chance? You, no, if there was a chance, I did it. Uh, there's nothing I passed up. Uh, Plowhawk, you have any anything even come close? I mean, you, you, you hung out with Jack Spade and Ariana Marie for that trip to the Arch. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I don't. I think I don't, he banged her. He's not telling anybody. I don't think Jack of Spades would have really been a big fan of that, but might have let me bend her over on Lumina outside of the arch. Might have been a possibility, right. but I don't think I have any celebrity that I even remotely claim close to banging. So I, I have to bow out of this one. No, uh, I, Iggy, I haven't been as fortunate as you have with uh, some of these brushes with greatness. Well, she wasn't famous at the time. She was right. just an ordinary chick. But was clearly very, very, very attractive. Well, she was attractive, play, yeah. Play, play, like play. I said, I'm shallow. I don't bang dogs. Well, we talked about how important it is to support the sponsors, and that truly is the name of the game when it gets down to it. And uh, one of our sponsors who jumped on board well before we even really, really got things going here with the Tim McCartney Show is James Carlton of the James Carlton Agency. He's a State Farm agent. And I have personally visited the offices uh, and met his staff and saw what he has going on in Webster Groves. And uh, now you get a better idea once you do of why uh, they have won the chairman's circle from State Farm. Uh, only two agencies in the St. Louis area can say that. That's, that's telling you a whole lot about the quality. You have to get insurance anyway. You have to do it. 
something that's just kind of part of the deal. We'll make sure that you're doing business with James Carlton. Text quote to 314-961-4800. That's 314-961-4800. And one of his incredible team members are going to reach out uh, to you. Or visit carltoninsurance.net. And James prides himself on so many things when it comes to local, because what's going to make him stand out versus, you know, take take your pick of the ones that you see all over the place on television. That's what's the what's the difference? Well, you're talking about a guy who is in the St. Louis community and prides himself on giving back to the community. So, for example, uh, coming up on the Wednesday before Thanksgiving, uh, everybody who comes through Webster Groves Starbucks uh, from 7 a.m. to 8 a.m. is a way to give back to the community. Uh, he will be uh, posted up at Webster Groves and um, and just taking care of people uh, at the Webster Grove Starbucks the Wednesday before Thanksgiving and treating everyone that comes in from 7 a.m. to 8, 8 a.m. as a way to give back to the uh, St. Louis community. And then also on December 16th, they do free gift wrapping. You don't even have to be a customer and encourage people who take them up on that to leave a donation for Cardinal Glennon. That's the kind of business James Carlton is running at the James Carlton Agency. Again, text quote to 314-961-4800, 314-961-4800, or go to carltoninsurance.net. If your insurance costs a leg and an arm, then call James Carlton, State Farm. What is the biggest regret of your professional career? Meaning, a job or deal you didn't take but wish you had, or a job or deal you took but wish you hadn't, or maybe it's a situation you wish you had handled differently. Probably not of experience, a lot of experience for the plowboy to discuss, but you and Iggy have a good story that's from Beer Cats of the family of beers. Plowboy, you might have one though, baby. I have a little one, what do you but have? it's nothing extreme. Uh, I was working at, I'm not going to name the place in Macomb, just, I just don't want to do that. But it was a nice uh, bar. I, I mentioned it on the morning after, so if you really are desperate and want to find it, you can. Okay. Buckswap uh, is looking into it now. Restaurant, bar, and grill at uh, in Macomb. I worked there for a couple years while I was going to school, and I, I pick up restaurants very, very fast. You know, I worked in them in the past in Canton, and so they offered me a position to be uh, a manager at their location that they were opening up in Peoria, and this was right as I was graduating and had my internship lined up to come to 590. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, I, it's not necessarily something I regret because I love the job and love who I work with, but I think maybe I could have propelled myself to owning my own restaurant or being part owner of a restaurant wow. to make some serious cash long term. Not saying I'm, I mean, I may have what may have gotten sick of it working 70 some hours a week as a manager. I don't know. But maybe that missing out on that opportunity to maybe potentially own a restaurant. That might be the one that I regret the most. You're 28, baby. Yeah, you still young. Ship sale. Yeah, that is true. But I, I kind of food service. I'm kind of done with. Uh, Iggy, what do you have here? Well, this one's pretty obvious. Um, Executive producer, 1380, The Woman? Yeah. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> My favorite I called one. Out. I said he's on Queen Jack of Spades. That's, I met, I that's how that I man. met you, Iggy. Um, no, we would have met anyway, eventually. Can I tell? Can what I, happened with you, Plowboy? You you just mumbled. Oh, you have a banana in your mouth. I have mouth. a banana, sorry. Perfect. It's like his fourth banana of the day. <laughs> well, you're having a seizure. Um can I tell the story that you and the con? Hey, well, if you, yeah, and if if I go, hey, I don't really want to, we'll just edit it out. Oh, okay. So fi- fire a bullet. Yeah. Well, well, you and I talked, and I said, told you that Robin, uh, who is the general manager of uh-huh. Thirteen of the Woman, uh-huh. and Dan Marshall offered me a job. 
uh-huh. as executive producer. Now, Paul was already years. laughing. Wait. I just remember. I know. I know the story. Sorry. <laughs> well, he offered me the job, and then I came of to executive you. Executive producer. Yeah, and I came to you because we knew that you were leaving as soon as the contract was up. Right. And I said, I, I want to take it, but I don't want to take it. I want to come with you when you leave here and mm-hmm. wherever you go next. And it was stupid on my part because you said there's a 99% chance that where I go, you're coming. There's a 1% chance it won't happen. And I, I said, well, I need a hundred percent. I can't just say, okay, I'll wait. And then I don't get the job. So like an idiot, I should have listened to you. And 99% was probably a hundred. Um, and I took the job at 1380 and then you went on to, yeah, we created a place 920. Where I would have had a but job. But when we were having that conversation, which was probably April or May, and we didn't start at 920 because we had to play out the contract at KFNS, I was having conversations with another radio station where I would not have owned yeah. the programming. And therefore, and it was serious. It was very serious. It, it actually, it was, that was 2013. It was serious then. It was real, real serious to the point that I was told it was a done deal in 2016 uh, with this same. Uh, radio station group, and uh, and if I the last thing I wanted to do, and I would do the exact same thing today. The last thing I would want to do, they were offering you a substantial increase in pay, albeit I kind of viewed it, you know, I mean, I, it was a short term thing. So you told me to be around, yeah, but I mean, I, I I wasn't saying something that was like, wow, Tim McKernan's saying this. Everybody in the market yeah. knew that this wasn't <laughs> going to be, and successful. I knew that. I was an intern, and I knew that. Knew it down. Be, I mean, it was just a, it was obviously a clown show. Uh, but again, it's one thing to have a clown show; it's another thing to treat people poorly. And it wasn't just Dan involved in that. There were a number of yeah, people were. who really treated people really badly, really badly. Uh, you know, as an observer to the radio show or the radio business, and I realize most of what people observe is filtered through what Dan Caesar writes. And this is not a shot at Dan Caesar, but there are plenty of times, especially with how I handle our business, where I just don't share things that would certainly explain moves um, because it would be embarrassing to people. And I just don't want to do that. And then on top of it, you know, it, it, it then I lead, it winds up, you get an argument with people and it plays out on social media and I'm spending time on crap that has zero upside. And that was something the great Bert Kaufman, who still owns 920, and I still have a great relationship with, uh, instructed me on back during the uh, magic that was the Albert Pujols thing in 2013. I just pe- missed that, too. I'm, oh, you just missed I it? Just yeah, you missed, missed that. It. See, by not coming along, you missed that. That was yeah. fun. I almost I almost passed away during that. Uh, that when Because there were people saying things that were just flat out, just made up. I mean, just absolutely just made up. And he said, and I said, well, I got to say this, because this he goes, here's a lesson for you. And he's 80-something years old. And I just, I value the input of somebody on a destination when they've actually been there as opposed to speculating what it's like to be there. In other words, Bert had seen a plenty of hands and he knew how to play them. And he said, don't waste your time, uh, A, on something that has no upside. And then secondarily, probably in a separate conversation, he said, you don't want to get in a war in words with somebody who you know is just willing to not, quote, fight fair or just willing to make things up. And so, therefore, we chose the route that we chose on how we handled that. But... Had I gone to uh, this FM, I, I don't know for certain that you would have been, but that I would have been able to make sure that you had yeah. a job. So if that same scenario played out now, I, I still would say, and if somebody was saying, okay, Iggy, I'm offering you whatever X, what you're making times what you're making right now, here it is. And I'm talking with, you know, now I'm under contract at KFNS through 2021. So this isn't happening. I'm just hypothetically playing out the, 
the scenario uh, that if that were possible now, I would still say the same thing because I wouldn't want to see you leave uh, anybody. I wouldn't want I would never want to see anybody who works with me to leave dollars on the table or if they just don't want to do something to, to, to continue to do. I never want somebody to be associated with something that I have some form of control over and leave dollars on the table that I would say, do not do this, even though I know you're costing yourself and therefore your family most of the time money for my betterment. I mean, seriously, if I, fuck me, if I were to do that to somebody, like I can't, like, like for real, fuck me. Well, you I would never to, do that. There I know, but I mean, it's, 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 but it's not because I'm this wonderful human being. It's just, to me, it's like an obvious thing because the way that you handle that is if that person is worth that much, then you come to the table, if you can, sometimes you can't, then you come to the table and make it work, you know, i.e. get them the number that they're being offered somewhere else. Now you got to analyze whether or not it's a bluff. That's part of business. That's fine. But you still got to, you can, or it's like if, if people in a mar- in this market, as an example, actually, are pissed off at whatever radio station for going and raiding talent from somewhere else, there's a way you can make sure that doesn't happen. Put your people under contract. Yeah. Having talent and producers and salespeople under contract is, is all kind of standard business practice. So if you want the upside of being able to terminate somebody and not having to pay them, then you also have to be prepared for the downside of losing them to other radio stations. That's business, man. And it wasn't even the money, even though he paid me probably more than I was worth. Um, it wasn't the money. It was that at least I knew I had a job. And if you did take this other job and I wasn't involved, then I'm stuck with no job. Right. Because I wouldn't. Yeah, I, I, I could I mean, get an offer tomorrow for more money to go to another station. I wouldn't leave. I wouldn't leave this show for more money because it's important for me to be with people I like and care about and having fun than making a few more bucks. So it's never been about money. Yeah, you can't put, yeah, I, I agree with that sentiment. You can't put a dollar figure. Cause I mean, for, it was nice to have it, even though it was miserable. Uh, and when, anytime I talk about the Bob Fesco time period I, to be crystal clear, even though I know he does the stuff with St. Louis on Twitter, whatever I did, whatever I don't, it doesn't bother me. I know it upsets some other people. Fine. But the reason why I'm putting the disclaimer, I don't blame Bob Fesco for that. It just obviously was not successful. Bob does one style of radio, I do the other. Like, I don't, like, Bernie Miklas and I probably wouldn't be a good show. You'd have two guys who host morning drive shows. Oh, that'd be great. But Bernie does one thing, I do another thing. That doesn't mean that we personally don't like each other. It's just style of show. So anyway, the point being, uh, it was good that I experienced that, even though it was a living hell, and at the time, the worst time of my career. And now, since then, I've had, like, 10 worse. But mm-hmm. in 2007, it was the worst time of my career because doing that show was so difficult because we were so different in how we do radio. And also the atmosphere was just toxic uh, because of Martin quitting, producer Joe had gotten fired actually, then Martin quitting and then the cat getting whacked. And our audience, which was big at the time, it wasn't, the show wasn't what it has become now in 2006 slash seven. So people are just like pissed about it. And then they, you know, and they're not, they, at that point they knew that I had nothing to do with it. Now we've had some situations where people think I did have something to do with it and I didn't, but they're like, what the hell happened to the show? The show sucks now, you know? And so they're mad at me and it was, it was good that I had those few months of doing that show again, even though it was miserable, uh, because it was a reminder of how good I had it from July, 2004 until October, 2006 when Martin quit because it was effortless. And if we wanted to do it, we could do 10 hours a day. And that's a, you know, that's a huge, huge 
value that so if somebody says you know whatever i mean i realize that to a do- the, the, the value of a dollar is different to, to you know everyone depending on your situation but if somebody could say okay we're going to double your like, like like we talked about last week somebody could say you're going to double what you make right now but you got to go do local television and you can't do the morning after i don't think i would do it and i know that might sound kind of crazy and first off that's not ever going to happen because nobody's going to be paying that kind of uh-huh. money to do local television but just for the sake of the discussion uh I, it, 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 it's creatively as antiseptic as it can possibly be. I also am not bullish on the industry. Uh, don't get me wrong. Obviously, Sports Talk Radio has all kinds of fascinating things going on. But uh, having done local television and choosing to get out of it in 2005, uh, just seeing where the industry was going, you cannot put a dollar value on coming to work. And then, like I said, the thing that I always tell people when they ask about the business, you cannot put a dollar value, not only on the, the good fortune that we have for being able to do this show where we all get along and love doing it, but also something that I think a lot of people experience. And fortunately, I only experienced for a brief amount of time. And it was that time period in 2007, which is lying in bed on Sunday night, dreading the next five days Yeah, to dread five sevenths of, of your week. And you can have a great personal life, although I would imagine that if you're having a negative professional experience, it then impacts your personal life. But so many people do that. Uh, and I'm not saying that, that that's their fault. That's the nature of the beast. If you have children at a young age, if you get married at a young age, or if you're just not making, a, you, you, what choice do you have? That's that's the nature of the beast. Or you're making so much money, you can't possibly leave it because it's like, okay, I'm making whatever, whatever dollar figure would seem huge and realistic to you. But if I were to leave this place, am I going to make that much money? So I'm going to put up with this crap and lie in bed on Sunday night, not being able to fall asleep because of anxiety and knowing that I'm going to go work for somebody who's a complete dick and treats me terribly, but I need to do it. And when you don't have that, even though it's an addition by subtraction, there's great value in that. It's difficult to put a dollar figure on it, but you don't really know until somebody says, okay, I'm willing to offer you 1.5 1.5 times what you're currently making, but you're going to have to do this and you can no longer do the thing that you're, that you love doing. And so that's the way that I would play it out. But with your situation, I totally get what you're saying. I don't view it as uh, I don't view that as a mistake. I think if, if this, I would do the exact, I would say the exact same thing to you in 2017. Uh, and I would advise you to do the exact same thing that you did in 2013. So I don't think I don't think that that was a mistake. Yeah, at all. I mean, twenty hindsight, twenty twenty, but it, yeah, it but wasn't. that's the thing. When you play a hand, you don't know how the cards are going to come out on the flop and turn in river. So I, that's why I don't get in results oriented thinking. If I shove with pocket aces and I lose, doesn't mean I'm not going to shove with pocket aces again. Well, to show you how much I missed you guys, I mean, I was I would have the morning show, and in Webster, the old Webster, they were in the closet. The chicks were in the closet. The dudes were in the big studio, mm-hmm. and my cubicle was right next to the door. And the one would come out at every break bitching about, our guest hasn't called yet. Err, well, it's not 705. It's 653. They'll call. What are you listening to? I'm listening to the morning after. Mm. I'm streaming your show. I didn't play well. While this show is going on. And one time she got so pissed off. She goes, why are you listening to that? I said, because they're entertaining. <clears throat> While you're doing that, I was running the board for the great Bubba the Love Sponge. Mm. I think well, yes, we're having some rough times. It was great there. there. That was, that there. was your, that was your uh, I didn't care anymore. that I had in 2007. All right, I want to make sure I answer the question because um, I was about to wrap it up and I hadn't asked, answered the question. So I know my guess is since this is Beer Cats and, and he, he knows me and he knows all of us, uh, he's probably, I guess he's probably thinking there's like one of three or four different things. 
I have never regretted ever, and I'm lucky because for about five months I was debating whether or not to leave KMOV in 2000. It was the tail end of 2004 and 2005, debating leaving there, and that's what kept me up at night. Because I'm like, my God, my whole dream when I was at the University of Missouri Journalism School is to get back to St. Louis to do television. And now I'm 20, again, who knows, whatever the hell I was in 2005, I guess 28 at the time. Uh, had just turned 28, and I'm already leaving, wanting to leave this. Uh, again, I was doing radio and making more money from doing radio, but still, uh, you know, to leave television and leave my hometown television... That tortured me because I was worried how much I would regret it. That was that was the thing. Um, and I remember my dad actually telling me, Timmy, you don't want to do that. This rate in my dad at the time was the general sales manager, which of course is the reason why I've, I've, I've been on the radio and television in St. Louis and in other markets. It's because of my father just to, uh, to cut out the attempted attack before it can be uh, fired. It's a preventative me- measure. But he said, Timmy, television's much more stable than radio. And if you quit KMOV, everybody's going to say you got fired. So just know that. I'm like, no, they're not. And even if they do, I'm not going to care. So sure enough, I quit KMOV after a couple of months of going back and forth as to whether or not I'm going to do it. Uh, And sure enough, a bunch of people said I got fired and it drove me up the wall. I'm embarrassed at how much it bothered me. I guess it bothered me because I knew it wasn't true. And And you couldn't say anything. I, I couldn't say anything because Alan Cohen was the general manager of KMOV who had been there since like 81 when he was like 31 to think of being hired as a GM of a TV station. Uh, and he ran it all the way until he retired. So uh, he's a very successful general manager of a TV station. Uh, he let me out of my non-compete, which was not limited to television. It also was limited to radio so I could continue to do radio. And I didn't even realize that was a big deal. I didn't even know that that was an issue, but it was. And he let me do it. So much so that Jamie Allman, who was at KMOV with me now and now has a very successful show on 97.1, called me like a month or two after I left and asked, hey, how'd you get out of your non-compete? And I go, Alan, just let me do it. You know, when I was the number three sports guy, Jamie at the time had a, you know, I mean, he was, he had been there for a while and he had a, he was a big uh, reporter. I don't know if it was investigative, but he was political reporter, certainly. And it was a different deal than, than me. Um, but I never regretted it when I dealt with crap from people saying I got fired it drove me up. Well, I think I still think there are people there who think I got fired because I knew I was quitting the day I went in. And then a producer came in and said, hey, we got you live over at the Scott Trade Center tonight at six. And I didn't want to say anything until I talked to the news director and GM to say I was going to quit. And so I said, yeah, I'll, I'll I'll be at the Scott Trade Center live, you know, for the sports hit at 622 or whatever time it would be, uh, knowing that within, you know, a half hour I was going to go up there and say, you know, it's been a good five years, but. I'm done. And so then that looks weird because, but whatever, you know, like I said, obviously things have worked out, but for that year, it drove me up the damn wall. Um, I was offered a job in Denver the following year to host Fox Sports Baseball Across America. And my co-host would have been Carissa Thompson, who, of course, has now turned on, uh, turned out to to, to do great stuff on Fox. Mm -hmm. And also, what is she on Access Hollywood or which one? I I think she's on one of those. E, E, not E, but uh, Access. And they moved, it was an LA based show, but they had moved it to Denver because of Union. uh, And it was going to cost less to produce in Denver. And really with the benefit now, again, I I don't chastise stuff for uh, how things play out, but I'm surprised I, I don't kick myself on that one more, but I don't. 
Uh, and I don't really know why, except I know that I don't. I went out there, I interviewed, I loved the people uh, who I would have been working for. It was Fox Sports Rocky Mountain at the time, which I now think is Root Sports. Uh, loved the interview. That was one of the places where when I interviewed and I like rattled off baseball stuff, they were just like, what in the world? You know, because in Denver, the Rockies hadn't been successful at that time. They went to the World Series the next year. But, you know, they're talking Broncos out there. Avalanche had won a cup. Uh, Nuggets weren't a big deal in, in Colorado stuff. So, you know, nobody's out there talking baseball. And it was a baseball show and it went really well. And I decided to turn it down. My agent, uh, whose name is Matthew Kingsley, uh, was floored that I was turning down a national show. And I said, I just don't know what to tell you. I just started this business. And when that happened, Jim Edmonds had just bought into InsideSTL.com. And in my mind, I wanted to have control of my own destiny because I felt like I've been through this TV thing before. I won a bunch of, not a bunch of, but three Emmys and an Edward R. Murrow Award. And they still gave me like a, like, a, I don't even know, 2% raise, maybe, if that. And when I would go in on negotiations, it was kind of like, take it or leave it. Because, I and I get it, I get it. Because there's 200 people that would want the job. So I have no leverage. So I wanted to control my own destiny so I wouldn't go through that crap again. And so the money was nice in Denver, but it wasn't really that much more than I was making in St. It was probably 15, 20% more than I was making in St. Louis to do radio. And I had my own business in St. Louis. And if I left in 2006, went to the inside STL being six months old, that was going to be it. Plus Edmonds had just bought in. Now Edmonds bought in for what he probably drops on dinner sometimes. So I don't want to portray that he was like a $1 million buy-in or something, <laughs> but it did happen. And it factored into my decision. And more importantly, because this is my biggest regret, but it leads up to it all. When I turned that down, uh, I had been taking Propecia, and this is relevant. I know it sounds like it's self-deprecating, but it actually is serious. I had been taking Propecia since 98, and it was like $90 a month. I have no idea what it is now. But if you are currently taking it, here's official uh, words of advice. Do not stop taking it if you want to keep your hair, because when you stop taking it, your hair will fall out. And I'm like, yeah, you know what? Because I had full head of hair when I went out for the interview. And they were like, oh, we thought you shaved your head. You know, because they'd seen some tape of me with my head shaved, some tape of me with my full head of hair. I'm like, yeah, you know, I just grew it back out, whatever, because I could. And then I'm like, yeah, it's $90 a month. That factors to, what, 1080 for the year. I'm not going to get back into TV. If I turn this down, I'm not going to get back into TV. I'm going to stop taking Propecia. I remember being in Las Vegas in August of 06. Uh, so only what, six months later, and I'm like, yeah, I'll grow my hair back, and it just didn't grow. I mean, it was it was a pretty horrifying yeah, moment. I can imagine. Because all I had to do was keep taking Propecia. And so then the time comes in 2007, they fired producer Joe, Martin has quit, uh, and they fire the cat. Now I'm doing the show with Bob Fesco. I'm miserable. I have a big contract relative for St. Louis Radio, uh, and they're not making money. So what are they trying to do? They're trying to get me to quit because if they fire me, they got to pay me, uh, or they'd have to act like they couldn't. And they already tried that with the cat, and it led to him getting a new bathroom. So they already knew that the hand wouldn't necessarily go well, and uh, and so they were starting the show at six a.m. saying you got to be there at five thirty in the a.m. for show prep meetings. They had hired narcs, you know, to try. Yeah. It was all kinds of stuff going on. And so I call my agent again, Matthew Kingsley, who was none too pleased with me for turning down the Denver job. And I say, man, I got to get out of here. 
Um, I could, I dreaded going to work, much less Sunday nights. Fuck that. Sunday was nothing. Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, I would make that turn off Big Bend onto Old Orchard and I would just like inhale. Like I got to get through the next four and a half hours. It was hell to the point that I actually went into the general manager. I said, I'm done. You can take the money back. I'm done. I can't do it. I don't know. I don't, I'm sure that this would be happy for you. You can dodge a big contract and paying it out the next. Again, big being relative. I hope this isn't coming off as, you know, throwing my, you know, junk down and trying to, you know, it, you know, relatively speaking, for them to not have to pay that because the show was not doing well, it would have been nice for them. Big is not necessarily like somebody working at, you know, Armstrong Teasdale as an attorney. So I want to make sure I contextualize that properly. But for this radio station, it was. And my agent calls me and he goes, well... Kurt Gowdy Jr. at SNY in New York loves your stuff, but you haven't been doing TV for a couple of years, and he's not sure, you know, for a job this important, I'd be replacing Steve Berthium, uh, who's now the Diamondbacks uh, guy, but he had been on ESPN. He'd be replacing Steve Berthium, so it's a pretty big job, and SNY is the Mets station. And I go, oh, my God. You know, I mean, I would have gone to, like, you know, you know, a market smaller than St. Louis just to get out of this situation, and, uh, and sure enough, uh, Joe Buck and Alan Cohen, don't need to explain who Joe Buck is, Alan Cohen, who was my general manager at KMOV, where I had left two years ago, which shows that I obviously wasn't fired since he called Kurt on my behalf and Joe called on my behalf. Uh, and those phone calls led to Kurt flying me up for an audition because they vouched for me. Um, but before the audition, I had heard, and I don't know how, I don't even remember how this happened, Somehow I had heard that it doesn't pay anything. I think it might have been Brent Stover. Remember him from Fox Sports Midwest, yeah. who's now on CBS? And I think, and I could be wrong. I hope this doesn't cause a bunch of controversy. But I think Brent may have auditioned for it and may have gotten back to me, because I know Brent, I still do, uh, that it didn't pay much, much again being relative. But for New York City, it's got to pay two and a half oh, yeah, times St. Louis in order to get there. And so I went into it going, you know what? I don't really care if I, because I know the money's not enough to get me to move, so whatever. So I wasn't nervous. And I remember going up there and auditioning for it. It was like late April, I think, or maybe early May, 2007. And I, I wasn't nervous because I thought no matter what I do, I'm not going to take it. And I remember, and I had a great meeting with Kurt Gowdy Jr., the son of the Hall of Fame broadcaster and, uh, and, and met the staff. The staff was really cool. And then they said, okay, we want you to do a few sports casts. So here's what you're going to be talking about. We need to write scripts and then ad lib over the highlights. And I remember sitting down in the SNY newsroom to start writing scripts. And I go, oh, my God, I hate this. I remember how much I hate this. I, I, this is one of the reasons why I left KMOV, because I hated this controlled, you know, and on top of it, whereas with the Cardinals, I cared. With the Rams, I cared. With the Blues, I cared. With Missouri and St. Louis, Hugh, I cared. 2005, Illinois was one of the best basketball teams you could watch. I cared. Uh and now I'm writing to like the Jets camp, you know, and Mets highlights, obviously, since they were the Mets station and they were the Jets station as well. Jets pre and post game, obviously not carrying the games. Uh, New Jersey Nets, not Brooklyn Nets, New Jersey Nets highlights. So I don't even know some of these guys' names. Islanders highlights, Rangers highlights, Devils highlights. I don't care. And I'm writing scripts. And I'm like, God, this is this is not what I want to do. But, you know, Joe called on my behalf. Alan called on my behalf. And so the last thing I want to do is bail on them because 
they called and vouched for me. So I'm not going to go up to Kurt now and say, you know what? Thank you. And plus they, they spent money to fly me up and put me up in a hotel. So I'm not going to, so I'm just like, fine, I'll go through it. Look at the highlights. I couldn't have been more nervous and I, or I couldn't have been less nervous for how nervous I should have been considering the magnitude of the audition. Uh, and I remember going out to the studio and they had a guy there, I believe it was a woman actually doing my makeup. I'd never had that before, even though I'd done television for years. Uh, but I've been shaving my head because my hair wasn't growing anymore. So she's got to like do the makeup on my head too, because I got a bald effing head. And I remember walking out to the studio and the studio. And if you watch, you can like type SNY and watch video and you'll see, I assume the studio store is because it's a phenomenal spot is right on sixth Avenue, Avenue of the Americas. It's right across from rock, uh, what the hell is it? Radio City Music Hall and Rockefeller Center, actually. But in, in over my shoulder, as I'm anchoring, is Radio City Music Hall. And it's like the Today Show where you have just the people walking on the street in the background. I mean, it is, you're at the epicenter of the 21st century Rome. And, and, I'm, and as I walk out there, I swear the thought entered my mind. I'm thinking to myself, my God, how in the hell did I go from South St. Louis to this? That's what, that's what I just remember thinking that. But I wasn't like nervous I was just like, this is amazing that this is this is even like possible. It wasn't like, oh, I deserve to be here. I should be here. I'm so fucking good. I'm just like, holy shit, this is. I mean, this where where else? You, the L.A. You know, you have L.A., but L.A. wouldn't have this because L.A. is a different. L.A. doesn't have a Manhattan. Uh, Chicago, you know, it, 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 this is New York City. I am auditioning for a monster station to be their lead anchor. How in the hell did this happen? That's what I'm thinking is the door opens. So I'm walking to the set somehow, fortunately was not nervous. You get done. Like I said, same thing. When I talked about Savard yelling at me about the March, the moron thing also happening in New York four years earlier, take out the earpiece. And you know, when you do an audition, if it went well or if it didn't, I knew it, it went as well as it could possibly go. And then at that moment, I'm like, I'm going to get a job offer from, from this place, which is pretty good feeling to know that you, well, you went on the biggest stage and you performed. Um, and so, I did get a job offer, I think two days later, and it was for a lot more money than I thought it was going to be. And so now all of a sudden, this is real. Now it's real. And now I'm thinking to myself, oh my God, I really could be picking up and moving to New York. Whereas when I flew up to New York to audition, I'm thinking, oh, I'm just doing this just for the hell of it. And so at the same time, right at that time, 1380, which is amazing to even put it in the same discussion as SNY in New York, but it's real. And obviously most people, of course, know how the story played out. 1380 had just decided to start up sports again, or they'd put a new ownership group in. Either way, John Helmkamp, who is still one of the greatest people I've ever worked with in radio, had, start, had taken over 1380. And now it became a scenario where if I could work out a deal with KFNS and get out of my contract and like minimize the non-compete, Helmkamp wanted us over there. Now, Martin wasn't going to come back, but I always knew Doug was the guy. Uh, if Martin wasn't going to be there, Doug was the guy. Uh, KFNS's history with that ownership group would have been a totally different situation had uh, they just hired Doug like me and the cat were recommending as opposed to what they did. But whatever, so it goes, their choice, you now live with it. And I'm going, oh my God, now I have a choice between doing AM radio in St. Louis and television in New York. And I realize there's no point in even asking people their opinion on it because nobody would ad advise you to do AM radio in St. Louis over doing television in New York. I mean, I get it. And, and, and not just AM radio. This isn't Camel X or KTRS. This is 1380 above the sex shop <laughs> on the fucking landing. And, and I'm choosing looking out 
on the landing overlooking out on New York City. And I remember calling Joe Buck and going, man, I don't know what to do. Here's another thing. They, they want me to grow my hair back. And I told him, I said, I don't have a, this isn't a choice, you know? I'd like to be 6'3". It isn't going to happen. This is what I got. And so Kurt, my, Kurt talks to my agent. My agent says, he's fine with you doing the Matt Lauer thing. And I'm like, I don't really want to do that. Matt Lauer is like 50. You know, I'm 29. I don't really want to do that. I want to keep to, but I mean, hey, it's television. It is relevant. And so then I'm like, God, do I go get hair transplants? Now, hair transplants, for the record, at least in 2007, for where I was going to go, cost about twenty dollars to $25,000. And for the record, it's not like I had that sitting around. I guess I may, may have had it, but it's not like I had two hundred grand where it's just like, okay, not a big deal. Just being real honest on the financials here because it's relevant. So I called Joe Buck and I said, I don't know what the hell to do. And Joe and I were friendly, but not to the point that we were like friends' friends. And he's like, just to be clear, you're asking me whether or not to take the job at 1380 in St. Louis <laughs> or to take the job in New York. And I go, yeah. And he goes, yeah, go to New York. <laughs> and, I, and I said, I know, but I just, I don't like doing TV and I, I'd be writing scripts. And I kind of had a weird feeling about one of the people in management there, not Kurt, uh, that it might, that this person might be difficult. I, and who knows if they would have been. Uh, and then on top, I said, Joe, they, and I wasn't sure because at that time, Joe hadn't been as open as he is now with his hair transplants. But I kind of thought he had gotten hair transplants, but you can't ask somebody if they've had hair transplants. And so I said, yeah, and they want me to grow my hair out, but I can't grow hair. And he goes, okay, this is between me and you. Now, since this story has occurred, Joe and I have talked about this publicly, so I'm not violating the Omerita. He goes, give this person a call, and that's the person to go and see. But if I would have gotten hair transplants in like June of 07 and then started there in July of 07, I still would have had not only a shaved head, but like all those like scabs from where your hair starts hopefully growing in which would have been super weird. I would have been under the microscope anyway. And now I look like a Chia pet anchoring in New York. That would have been probably you have like five people covering media there. I mean, if the people that are driven up the wall by Dan Caesar's column here, imagine that five times. And plus, I'm sure it's a lot bloodier there than it is here. And so I went back and forth and back and forth. And I actually accepted the job to go there. And we went up there to look at places and it was insane. And I will tell you exactly what the price was on the place that we were going to go. And it's insane. And I'm not saying I had the money, but, but nobody like showed us around, which if somebody would have showed us around, I'm sure they would have showed us like shown us Hoboken and Brooklyn Heights. We were just looking at Manhattan and obviously things are a lot more expensive in Manhattan. And usually if you're going to live like in the cool area of Manhattan, at least at that time, you live lower than, I can't remember what they said, 14th street. And if you want to kind of live in what it is, the suburbs of Manhattan, at least at that time, it's the Upper East Side or Upper West Side. I think at that time, a bunch of people were living the Upper West Side. We never went Upper West Side or Upper East Side. Uh, we just, we wound up at Midtown, which is like not the, that's like the tourist place, Times Square and the whole deal. And it was going to be 4,500 a month for an 800 square foot, one bedroom apartment. Jesus. That's what it, that, that was as good as we could get. I know it sounds insane because you can have a home possibly in Ladue in St. Louis and have a payment like that. Now, ideally, of course, you, you have a huge down payment. You don't have that. But my point is, is that was the reality of it. And I'm just like, I can make, granted, it's not as much money, but have a better life 
by staying in St. Louis and doing AM radio, which sounds so counterintuitive. And so I then call, I call my agent who is already not happy with me for turning down the Denver thing a year earlier. And I was dreading this phone call. Holy shit. And I said, Matthew, and I'd accepted the job two weeks earlier. And I said, I'm not going to take the job. And he just starts screaming like this high pitched scream. He goes, I can't believe it. He goes, there isn't one client I have who would not take this job. And he has, you could look at his list of clients. Now there, there are people you would recognize. Now this is 2007, but I cannot believe it. They would cut their arm off to go to New York and take this job at SNY and you are turning it down. He goes, my wife told me you would never leave St. Louis and I shouldn't have taken you back after you turned down Denver. And now you're turning down New York. It's one thing to turn down Denver, even though it was a national show. Now you're turning down New York. I cannot believe you're turning down New York. I can't, I can't believe because you're calling Kurt as in Gowdy. You're calling Kurt. This is it. I'm done. And I get it, you know, cause I, and I don't know what, I don't remember what his cut was. But it's, it's, it, was a, it would have been a nice amount of money to him. But I think bigger picture, he was looking at me as like a stock. And if I go to SNY, then I could go to ESPN or Fox Sports or whatever. And from my standpoint, as dumb as this sounds, it all goes back to Propecia. When I had stopped taking Propecia and therefore my hair stopped growing, my upside in television at that time was reduced. I truly believe that. I know it sounds crazy and I might be, you know, wrong, but... Me with a full head of hair like I was on at KMOV and, and it auditioned, uh, and I hadn't auditioned, but it interviewed in, in Colorado, although they were willing to hire me with the shaved head, versus my potential with a full head of hair or, in this case, shaved head, like going forward. I didn't feel like I had as much upside. That's the honest, it sounds asinine, and I'm sure people are listening to this going, you've got to be kidding me, but that's the truth. And I went back and forth and back and forth, and then I decided to call Kurt tell him I'm not going to take the job. He was a lot calmer than my agent. Uh, and I get, I don't fault my agent at all for being pissed off because uh, because I had done it before, but I didn't think the Denver thing was that big of a deal. I'd never accepted it. Uh, and I said to Kurt, which in hindsight is just like, again, it just shows how I didn't know my ass from a hole in the ground because it was true. I felt like I'd be working like 3 p.m. to like 1 a.m. because there's two shows after Mets games. And... I felt like I would never see my wife uh, and she would have to work if we were going to be paying 4,500 yeah. a month. And therefore she's going to be working during the day, educated woman, uh, you know, so she's going to get a job during the day. We're never going to see each other. I didn't want to get divorced. Now I wound up getting divorced anyway. Uh, but that, that since that truly factored into it. And because, uh, so that was on my mind at that time. And I remember calling Kurt back and just in hindsight, it's like, the, the balls to do this. But I said, well, if you can up it, and I guess if I'm thinking, I'm not going to give the dollar figure of what the up was, but it was essentially upping the offer that I had just accepted 33%. If he would have done that, I would have taken it. It uh, is pretty ballsy, buddy. Oh my, it's just, it's, but it's not ballsy because I didn't know what I was doing. I would never do that now, but at 29 or 30, I guess I was 30 at that time. At 30, I did it just because I didn't know any better. But again, I'm 30. You should know better by 30. Uh, and he said, well, I'll talk with them, but I just don't think they're going to do that, especially for somebody who hadn't done television for two years. And so uh, that was it, uh, understandably. So they wound up hiring a guy. Uh, and if people want to look up who they hired, they can do it. I don't think that's my place to say. But the person had been at ESPN. Uh, I'm told they paid him less than I had accepted, which therefore tells you all you need to know about the sports casting business. Here's a person who had been at ESPN 
and he got less money than somebody who had been out of the game for uh, television anyway for two years, and that person got less. And again, it wasn't like a huge amount. It was, you know, God, I don't even know, like 3% less. But either way, the point remains, because people are desperate for jobs, and there are only so many jobs, including New York City. And uh, if, even if you had been at ESPN. And so that's what wound up happening. And I have to say, there isn't a day where I look back and go, God, I wish I wouldn't have left KMOV. And for whatever reason, and I don't know why, there isn't a day where I go, God, I should have gone to Denver. But I, I have to be honest and say, when we're going through hell, and as you guys know, everybody in here uh, knows we've gone through plenty of it, uh, and inevitably we will go through more. It's the, the price that we pay to do the show that we love that I, I, it doesn't enter my mind. My God, I, I, I could have avoided all of this and gone to New York, and who knows what would have happened. Um, so that's a real thing. It's obviously a true story. And, uh, you know, it's been 10 years and five months, I guess, at this point. And uh, I, it still pops up in my head here and there. So there is a, like, 25-minute answer to the question. I was debating whether or not to just say, okay, I'll answer that question in the next sode. But I felt like that wouldn't be fair to the people listening to the sode. Yeah. It would have been great teasing. You're exactly right, Seamaster. It would have been great teasing. But since I wouldn't be returning after like a five-minute commercial break, it'd be a week. <laughs> I felt like I had to answer the question. But that's that's the honest answer. So uh, it's not to say that I regret it. It's just because I certainly don't regret the KMOV or the Denver thing. And both of those, well, KMOV was whatever it is. I mean, I, I would have been laid off at KMOV within a few years because, I mean, look at the sports department now. It's Doug and Maurice. So I was the third guy. They would have gotten rid of me uh, or I would have left. So whatever. That one I don't worry about. Uh, the Denver thing, I do kind of wonder why I didn't do it. And had I gone to Denver, I would have kept taking Propecia. And I do believe the Propecia is at the centerpiece of the story. Because had I still had a full head of hair, I'd be like, yeah, I probably can go, you know, once I'm in New York. At that point, it's kind of, I can just stay in New York and love being in New York or ESPN. But I never really wanted to be on SportsCenter. Not to say that they would have come calling, but that's where I felt like the next step was, was SportsCenter. And I just... That just didn't appeal to me at all. So anyway, there's... I can picture the story if uh, if there's ever a movie of you, and this story is in the movie. There would be Tim taking off his earpiece, walking out of the studio. Hey, Dr. John, how are you today? (laughs) Timmy walking out of the studio, taking off the earpiece. Hey, Rockettes. <laughs> Which are you doing? That's what I chose, the, the sex shop above the landing over uh, 6th Avenue in New York City. And, uh, and yeah, I mean, I have to be honest. That's, that's, I mean, it's as big of a regret as you could possibly have. So I don't know if the bigger regret is turning down New York or stopping taking Propecia. For real. <laughs> yeah. You know, because I don't mind I, the shaved head thing, even though I got a weird shaped head. It doesn't bother me at all because I don't know what my hair would look like even if I would have kept taking Propecia. Would I have had the same amount of hair by 2017? I have no idea. Like, I look at Erlocker who got hair transplants, and I feel like he looks like he looked good from my standpoint with a shaved head. And now I feel like he looks like Kevin James, you know? Yeah. So I, I don't know how I would have looked at the hair transplants. Obviously, I never got them. But it's kind of a gruesome process, you know? I mean, much less what Joe Buck experienced that it almost ended his career. I think that's a one in a million type of deal. But they rip out the, no, rip off. They cut out the flesh in the back of your head, and then they put the hairs at the top of your head. I mean, it's a whole thing. And then yeah. you kind of look like dad hair guy, you know? And that's not what I had. I had a nice set of hair. I just stopped taking Propecia. So if you have the chance to continue taking Propecia, take Propecia. Do not stop because you will immediately lose your hair. It's like crack rock for your hair. 
do not stop. Plowhawk, what'd you think of that story? Was that too much for you? No, I'm good. Uh, I luckily, uh, my uh, genetics, I'll have a thick, lush yeah, head of you, hair you, for you, my you foreseeable you have a nice future. Lid. You have a nice lid, bro. And Iggy, my God. Yeah, you're doing just fine. Thank you. Oh, yeah. Look at that. Look at those locks of love. Sea Monster, you're doing well. I'm telling you. I kind of thought like 50% of guys lose their hair by 40, but it sure doesn't look like that. You should see my shrubs, so if I do end up losing my hair, I can do You just, would do a transplant from yeah, your shrubs. Yeah, just transplant matted nice shrub hair to the top of the nice, scalp. Had to be a nice procedure. Well, there it is. My intent was for this one to be a brief for questions from the audience, but then we got going, and I just start babbling. They were good questions, too. They were good. They're the audience, they bring the heat. They do. I, I hope you enjoyed questions from the audience uh, with uh, the Plowhawk, uh, with Iggy, and with me, your host, Tim McKernan, and, of course, the great Seamaster, the executive producer here of the program as we broadcast live on podcasts from the Home Loan Expert Dot com studios. We'll be back with more for you on Friday with picking and groaning as producer Joe and I make our picks for this weekend's college football and NFL.